Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello! And welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about an Oscar award winning, right? This won the Oscar. Mm-hmm. The Oscar award winning... Uh, women. Women, women, women. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the Oscar award winning film Birdman. How did we end up here? This place is horrible. Smells like balls. We had it all. You were a movie star, remember? Who was this guy? He used to be Birdman. I like that poster. You wrote this adaptation? I did, yeah. And you're directing and starring in your adaptation. That's ambitious. Are you afraid people will say you're doing this play to battle the impression that you're a washed-up comic strip character? Absolutely not. That's why 20 years ago I said no to Birdman 4. Hold the mask off! You do hold the mask off! Now you're about to destroy what's left of your career. We should have done that reality show they offered us. Shut up. You know I'm right. You're so nice. Hey, what's up? Why don't you try to rest a little bit? Face it, Dad. You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. Baby, can you understand me now? Sometimes I get a little mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When things go wrong, I seem to go bad Listen to me I'm just a You are the original, man Let's make a comeback That's what I'm talking about You're a bird, man You are a god Music. He's a Hollywood clown in a lycra bird suit. Yes, he is. But he's going out on that stage and risking everything. This is about being respected and validated, remember? That's what you told me. That's how you got me into this shit. I got a chance to do something right. I gotta take it. Let's go back one more time and show them what we're capable of. There you go, you motherfucker. have a synopsis for us mr huddleston i do a so this is a brief one but it describes it pretty well i think a washed up superhero actor attempts to revive his fading career by writing producing and starring in a broadway production and this movie stars michael keaton zach galifianakis edward norton andrea riseborough emma stone Naomi Watts. It was written and directed by Alejandro Inaritu. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. And it came out in 2014. Also, the title is Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Is the full title. So, yes. and you'd seen it. Seen you'd seen it more than once. I've seen it more than once. Yeah. I had not. I have not seen it more than once. Well, I have now, but I had not seen it more than once when I recommended it. I liked it. Yes. Did you like it? I did like it. I liked it yeah. very much. Okay. So for next week, we're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, you know, what made me, what made me um, want to do this one and remember this one was uh, that we've been going down sort of a, uh, a little bit of a um, uh, wormhole with um, uh, Del Toro. Guillermo uh, del Toro and the the sort of elements of magical realism uh, in his films that I 
I'm really in love with. I, I, I really connect with that. And I thought, you know, that movie Birdman had a fair amount of that, but I don't remember it so well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, re-watching this one. I think I caught a bunch of little stuff that I hadn't necessarily picked up on. I watched it on my reasonably large flat screen TV, but I did find myself missing, because I think when I originally saw it, I saw it in IMAX or something, a big, mm. big screen. Okay, And you wouldn't normally think of this film uh as as necessarily needing a screen of that size but i i missed it there's something of scope that was a little deceptive when i first saw it and then i saw it Mm -hmm. on a smaller screen i thought oh that was this was better bigger Mm -hmm. um what i mean what are your top level um thoughts so um i had not seen this in a theater i'd always seen it at home um but it, you know, I think it would be great in, I would like to see this, you know, projected sometime. Um, this movie compared to a lot of movies that we maybe have covered is, um, this is almost entirely dialogue. There's not really a lot of what you would call action in this movie. Um, you know, there aren't explosions and gunshots and, you know, no cars uh, turn into robots. Yeah, none of that kind of thing. So this is very much an, you know, a dialogue and acting movie. So you you have it. It takes place mostly within a theater. There's a little bit of, you know, they'll go outside and go down to a bar or something like that. But it's mostly it's in and around a theater. So you already have that aspect of it's about. Uh, this theater production. So basically Michael Keaton's character is it's almost a little bit autobiographical. I mean, it's taking his somewhat his persona and making the story out of it. So, you know, he famously was Batman. Well, his character in this played Birdman and he's done, I don't know, three, I think. And they maybe, you know, there's some talk of him, but it's been quite a while since he's done that. And I guess hasn't really had any other hits and he wants to, um, he is producing and uh, directing and acting in this adaptation of, was it Tennessee Williams? No, it's, um, see, I, this is why I should watch it the night before. It's, um, it's a novelist. It's, um, oh, okay. it's not a playwright. I can't believe I'm forgetting the guy's name. Anyway, it's okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's adapting this play. And we kind of don't know. You keep talking. We'll look it up. Okay. We kind of don't know what, you know, too much what has happened to him prior to the events that we see in the movie. But he is starting to unravel mentally um the you know just the pressures of this um production are getting to him and kind of just the you know him feeling like he's washed up so the birdman character is in his head and and talks to him throughout the film and sometimes is uh chastising him and making fun of him and other times is kind of like pumping up his ego saying you know you're better than these losers you know and, and he, he sounds, does he sounds like batman he does it's the superhero voice you know where he's like you're better uh, than these, you know this place you're better than these losers. yeah this is garbage <laughs> yeah. and so you talked about the the uh magical realism so the opening shot is him in his dressing room uh, in the theater and the he's in his underwear and the shot is from behind and he's meditating and he's levitating above the ground above the floor and so there are little things throughout the film where you know he can move he can point to something and and move an object or get it to turn around or you know make a coffee cup move across the table or whatever and no one else sees any of this um so the I was reading a bit that the director 
so we're going to spoil this as we spoil everything that we yes. watch yes we're big spoiling people Spoilers. um so there's a there's a big event at the, the ending of it is left to interpretation and the director has said that he never wants to say what the ending means because he wants he wants it to be up to you as the viewer as as to what but so you know we have this thing where either he is insane and you know none of these things that he uh um these powers that he believes that he has or is telling himself that he has um you know don't exist or it's some kind of different universe where he actually where he's kind of a real life superhero and has mm. has these powers so what how did you feel about that as far as the what's happening with him i um i choose to interpret it as metaphor okay so even though it's shot very literally Mm -hmm. right there he levitates he has mental powers and we see this like you would in a superhero movie where he sort of shoots a mental mind blast and the lights go out um or he's literally flying um i i choose to interpret those as uh visual metaphors of his kind of internal state and it's the, the 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 complicated bit at the ending is his daughter with whom he has a complicated relationship uh, we don't see him so we're we're, we're going to spoil it and there's no way to talk about it other than this so we see him earlier in the movie there's a scene in which he actually flies he's sort of flying around manhattan we don't hear people pointing and shouting like oh look up at this guy you know but but he's flying around. flying around like a superhero would and because it's not interactive with anyone specifically and because you don't hear people on the ground you don't know well do people just not look up and notice him or is this just is he delusional right mm -hmm. at the end he kind of jumps out of his hospital room window. So let's back up a little bit. So as the play is going on, there is a scene where his character is, shoots himself. The climax, it's Raymond Carver, by the way. The okay, climax yeah. of the Raymond Carver story he has adapted for the stage and is directing himself starring in culminates with his character committing suicide downstage center and things go sort of pear-shaped for him throughout the movie the pressure goes it's a crazy it's one of those crazy he Broadway has to fire his he has to fire his co-star at the beginning and they bring in uh ed norton who is a kind of a classic um wild card method mm -hmm. you know a brando figure like you just never know what the guy's gonna do right. next but he prints his own money like tickets people can't wait to buy a ticket to see what this guy is gonna do on stage mm -hmm. so so you know he from the from the control perspective he feels more and more pressure and by the end he has a real gun and he is intending to commit suicide for real on opening night on stage at the end of this production um which he attempts and it turns out he sort of just blows his nose off mm -hmm. <laughs> um so he wakes up in the hospital room you know and there's the big critic from the new york times has shown up and told him point blank to his face in the bar across the street you know i'm gonna ruin your play <laughs> he's like well you haven't even seen it yet you know just like it doesn't matter you know i don't care what it is i'm going to utterly destroy you for everything you stand for so and and this is supposedly the only critic who's you know if 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 she likes it we run and if she doesn't like it You're that's it down. yeah yeah and they're way over budget and they've hemorrhaged a bunch of money into this and everybody's career is kind of on the line with this one so we we sort of can understand why this might be all too much for this guy he wakes up in the hotel uh, in the uh, hospital bed he has not died they've reconstructed his nose um 
I think uh, Zach Galifianakis is great as his partner slash lawyer slash publicist mm -hmm. uh, comes in here and the woman has written. So he it's the scene where he shoots himself. We know it's a real gun. Nobody in the audience really knows it's a real gun. The other actors on stage like Ed Norton recognizes, I think, that it's a real gun, but he's 15 feet away from him. Uh, he blows his we don't know what he shoots and falls and it's a standing ovation that goes on for like two minutes mm -hmm. and the critic sort of slips out the back. It turns out that the critic has written a rave review to the scale of like, of that reviews aren't written like a new, uh, a new movement has been born, you know, hyper realism. And this is a new chapter in American theater. I mean, an, an unbelievable review right uh so so the news couldn't be better you know and she's like oh what about his nose it's like oh you know like, well you get a, you get him a new nose you know whatever <laughs> get the nose uh they all kind of leave and he gets up out of bed and he peels the he's got a big tape thing on his face and he peels it off and he's now got like almost literally but he's got a big beak of a nose like it's a big like boxer's nose and he's all black and blue here and he looks like birdman like he looks like he has now sort of become birdman yeah and he goes over to the window and he opens the window and he's looking out and he's sort of taking in the sky and he climbs up on the edge of the windowsill and do we see we don't see him fly away but do we see him sort of step out or jump yeah, out he steps out and then he like swoops up so it's almost like he drops and then and um, his daughter comes in and we see it from out the shot is from outside the window looking into the empty small hospital room so we see he's not there and she's like your dad dad and she finally comes over to the window and looks up and the last shot of the movie is her looking up and spotting him ostensibly and a smile breaking across her face as she ostensibly witnesses her father literally flying. Yeah. So whatever it means literally to me, that's the look, the last look on the face of the character we get to see is one of joy. And so I like to stay with that and, and call it a happy ending and think that he doesn't plummet to his death. Whether or not he's actually flying, this doesn't end in his actual suicide. And that he, you know, in all the things I want to happen, that he repairs, begins to repair his relationship with his daughter and has a healthier career. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I I end it with a happy feeling. It ends with a happy feeling for me. My um intellectual brain didn't kick in and think well come on rationally he's probably insane and he jumped to his death right but, yeah. but how did you like i didn't beg for literal interpretation to me that last moment. no no i i feel the same way that it you know i i want it to be that ending that everything is okay um but yeah, I, I think you're right that there's a lot of metaphor here. I was reading, and I don't know if this was the director saying this himself. I'm going to paraphrase this, but it was either whoever was writing this article, it was their interpretation, or I, I think it was the director actually saying this. The kind of the gist of the movie entirely is how um, people are tied down by their lim you know limitations their per perceived limitations so this is a guy who's a great big star but you know he doesn't really he has self-confidence problems and all all kinds of issues so that that was um what i had read was what you know was trying to be presented by the movie is basically that uh you know you can kind of uh go beyond what you think are go beyond your limiting beliefs i guess um so which i think is interesting one, one thing about the movie that's interesting to me is and i was just kind of thinking this as we started is basically everybody 
every person in this is broken to some degree. You know, he has all these problems. His daughter has just gotten out of rehab. Um, Ed Norton is this great actor, but like you said, he's, you know, all over the place. He is in a relationship with um, Emma Stone is the daughter. He's Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. Who is also in the play. Who's also in the play. And, you know, they're having trouble with their relationship. Um, She has all kinds of insecurities. Um, uh, And then um, Michael Keaton has a girlfriend who. In the play. Tells. Yeah, in the play. Who, and uh, you know, mean, they've had a relationship. Yeah, having a relationship with a co-star in the play. Exactly, yeah. Is what I mean, yeah. And uh, she he tells, tells him, him <laughs> that she's pregnant and he's just kind of like, oh, great, you know. Uh, so she's not happy. Um, so he I panics, think, and, yeah. Yeah, he panics. Um, so that just that just adds a layer of his stress i'm sure he's thinking like okay with all this now i have to deal with i can't deal with a pregnancy right now you know um and and, she's crazy yeah she's crazy everybody in this everybody's crazy everybody's crazy which is i think one of the things i love about this is it's about the theater and actors and the cliche that actors are big crazy over emotional over dramatic like handfuls of crazy Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of truth to it and, and and uh and this has great fun with taking that cliche and really blowing it up to a larger than life i mean i would say that this is a comedy um yes I, and i don't i don't know that it plays like you know it's not wedding crashers uh no. but when you watch it for as much kind of beautiful cinematography and really i think really dramatic moments that they managed to land like michael keaton's performance that opening night that final scene when he comes on stage with the gun and we know he's got a real gun is a terrific piece of acting Mm -hmm. right so when the crowd leaps to their feet giving him a standing ovation it's not just this ironic commentary on like, oh, well, they're only going to applaud when you literally kill yourself. No, he just gave them a, a fantastic performance. You know, mm-hmm. and we see as he's a difficult guy, too, and he's crazy in his own ways. Uh, but as we go through the movie, like, I don't feel like we start the movie liking the Michael Keaton character very much. But by the end, I was very much on his side. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think in some ways the other characters are their kind of archetypal actor tropes, but they can also be seen as facets of his own persona, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, his daughter ends up not having a serious relationship, but kind of making out with the Edward Norton character which of course drives him nuts. Like he hates that idea, uh, Michael Keaton. Um, and in some ways those two are kind of id and super ego. They're kind of different parts of his own psyche. And the Edward mm-hmm. Norton character is this very intimidating, intimidating actor figure, right? As, as the director and producer of this show, he wants it to succeed. And this guy is great, but he doesn't want him to be upstaging him. Right. And he's afraid he's going to. But then as we get to know more about the Edward Norton character, it's like he can do no wrong on stage, but he's literally impotent when he's mm-hmm. not on stage. And he has a monologue when he's talking, when he and, and the Emma Stone, the daughter character, have their conversations on the roof, Those are some really interesting, you know, because she's sort of this nihilist, this cynic at at this young age. Um, And he is sort of the opposite, but he's only, he can only experience life through his art. Like he only feels alive when he's on stage. They're they're flirting, and she says something like, you know, they're playing truth or dare. 
And I think she says something like, if you could do truth, if you could do anything you wanted to me, what would it be? Which, of course, is a baited, very baited question. And his answer is, uh, I would pull your eyes out of your head and stick them in mine so I could see this city again the way you see it. Yeah. Which is not the answer she's looking for. No. You know, it also... It's an example of how overblown and overwrought and melodramatic, how high flown the language, the script of this is, which is very much like Raymond Carver. It's very, it's, it's language that people don't, people don't talk like this. And in a Raymond Carver novel, you go with it because that's the world he's creating. But they, you know, and, and people even roll their eyes. Why would you adapt Raymond Carver for the stage, right? Well, this whole thing kind of adapts that Raymond Carver uh, heightened reality language. And many, many times you find yourself, or I did, almost kind of rolling my eyes at some of this dialogue. I'm like, wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> you got to deliver that. But that's the point. And then the triumph, I think, of this movie is that it manages to land it mm-hmm. like it muddles around in the in the cotton candy of it all. And then and then it kind of finds a moment and brings it into focus. And this high flown, like we're talking about espousing about the profundities of love, it it, it actually lands at, a, at a, mm-hmm. when everything kind of the planets kind of all align and. I don't think this film would have worked if it hadn't have been able to pull that off. Yeah. Because the whole movie does that. It's too much, too much this way. It's too much that way, you know, but, but then eventually it kind of comes into like at the right moment, it's all just right. Mm-hmm. And it chimes in this, in this very New York way. Like New York was a city that I hated living in, mm-hmm. except and I think Woody Allen said something to the effect of this too. Um, it, you know, you feel like it's this abusive lover. It's like, <laughs> why don't you just kick me out? Like if you hate me so much, but then there'll be this sort of moment of epiphany where it's one of these perfect autumn days and you serendipitously run into an old friend that you weren't expecting to see and hadn't seen for a while. And, both of you just happen to have nothing to do and you sit down and get a cup of coffee and catch up and it ends up being one of the best days of your life. Mm-hmm. And you walk away from that thinking, I love this city. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it goes back to kicking you in the teeth. <laughs> it's like, I, I just love this movie so much on so many levels um, because it, it, it manages to pull off what feels like if you sat down, like, how are we going to do this? I want you to make a movie that does all these things. I'm like, how, how, how would you yeah. do that? And I feel like he's done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I love the performances in this. And you have, um, there are sections of this that are, so the movie's pretty much in real time uh, for the most part. And there are sections of this that are almost, you know, that are several minutes seemingly of continuous shots. Cause it's a lot of just following people down hallways, you know, and they're stopping every so often to talk or whatever, but right, right. And watch watching it this time. So, I mean, two things that I'll say, I remembered really loving this movie and thinking it was great. And then, you know, sometimes you'll watch a movie that you've, you saw it five years ago or whatever, and you're like waiting to get to this part and waiting to get to this part or whatever. And with this, it was like, oh, I remembered this was great. And it's even greater than I remembered it being. And you just kind of, um, you know, it's not like you're waiting for the next thing to happen. You're just kind of in the moment with these. Because I just think the, like you said, it's not a realistic way of talking, but I really like, I love the dialogue in this and how it's presented and everything. And you... You know, everybody in this is a great actor and gives great performances. Um, and Ed Norton, I I can't, he's always been an actor that I've really liked. I can't recall a lot of performances like this where he's just, there's just long sections of, and but he's just so great. I mean, everybody's great. Um, so 
I don't know really where I'm going with that. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's, I, I think I mentioned when we said we were going to do this movie that it reminds me a bit of Glengarry Glen Ross, you know, that where that's another film that, and that was adapted from a play, I think, um, where it's limited location and it's just people talking, you know, the, the whole time. Um, very so, theatrical, uh, like stage, very theatrical in that sense. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that I would say about this is I, I think this can be almost a bit of a companion to, um, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm trying to, <laughs> um, uh, what's the Natalie Portman film where, oh, Black Swan? Oh, Black Swan. Yeah. Um, there's you know, a lot of similarities. Of, yeah, a yeah. lot of similarities. That you know, obviously the tone is a little different. It's I mean, darker. Yeah, that, that one funny. was horrifying in many ways, right? There was a sense of impending doom, and this this has a sense of impending doom, but it's it's not. There's a lightness to it, like it's right. a kind of a manic, stressful doom. Yeah, and not. I mean, she really in that one, it really felt like she might she was turning into some sort of a swan monster. It was pretty scary. But, but with that, you have the, you know, kind of the same things with magical realism, an unreliable narrator, um, a, the, uh, the stress of the performance probably driving the character insane. Um, so yeah, it's a darker, a darker take on some of the same themes, but, but there's definitely some similar, you know, two really, really great films. Um, but yeah, I don't, mm, you got anything else or? No, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you, cause I had forgotten about that sort of single take thing. Oh yeah. I was, did. this was, let it, me interrupt you for just one second. I, I noticed watching it this time around, there were, even though I was kind of just taking everything in, I was also watching for cuts because there'll be a lot and you can tell where, you know, not like it's obvious or anything but they'll walk into a shadow. So it's dark, yep. you know, it's, it's black and it's like, okay, that's a cut, but still yeah. it's logs. I mean, it's several minutes of at a time that is seem seems to be continuous. The feel of it, the feel of it as though it's one long continuous shot. And yeah. that happens too, when, as people move around the room, it's like you're, you know, the, the effect is that you as the camera being your eye, are standing in the room, a third person in this duo speaking, right? And as yeah. they bang out the door and head down the hall, the camera follows them. But they have a lot of fun with it too. For example, there's there's a scene where they go in, it's, we follow them into the theater uh, the day of opening night. Uh, and, and it's a sort of a locked off shot outside at ground level of them entering the front of the theater during the daytime. And as they go in there and then the light just changes. So we just sort of fast forward mm -hmm. three or four hours until it's showtime. And we see a crowd starting to come up and, you know, have their tickets and go in, but the camera doesn't move. It's just like, okay, it's, it's two. Okay. Now it's seven 30. Right. And it just, it, there's not even like a, a, a time-lapse thing of like leaves blow by and things. It's just like the light, like in a theater, it's just, there's just light change. Mm -hmm. But I loved that. I loved oh, yeah. that. They, it has so much fun with, I mean, I think we see people play with that kind of stuff in science fiction and CGI and stuff, mm -hmm. but it, it, it made me think of some of the stuff in Citizen Kane in the, in the way that it was just like, how can we, how can we do something that, I mean, in Citizen Kane, they invented some techniques that right. I don't know that they invented here, but it was just like, how could we use just things, regular tools of the trade that, that are available to us, but use them in ways that, that feel new and unique and, and create a mood all on their own. Mm -hmm that i that i think you see a lot in the theater it's like how can we use lighting and angles and you know sparing set pieces and things like that to do a lot of the kind of emotional work 
for us. Um, that was, I mean, on a technical level, I, I really loved watching this movie too. I, I think having the experience of having actually worked on movies uh, other than just watching them has really deepened my appreciation for just watching movies. I don't, I'm not touting myself as some sort of an expert, but I think like if you're a musician who's made albums, when you listen to an album, you, you're, you know something about how the sausage is made, so to speak, and you appreciate like, oh, I, I, I see what they did there. Or that looks amazing, but it's even more amazing than that because I know something about what you would have to do to <laughs> create that. Yeah, that's good that you have that that view of things because I've read and I can't think of specific uh, people, but I've read a time or two comments from people who work in the film business who say they don't like they don't enjoy watching movies anymore because they know how everything is done. So or or if they if they don't know how something was done, they're trying to figure it out instead of paying attention to the story, which is kind of sad, you know, but there, obviously there are people, you know, there are great musicians who just love music and they'll go and see other people play just to enjoy it. And they're not sitting there critiquing it the whole time, you know, well, they're, they're just, enjoying, they're just going it with more it, you know? dimensions, maybe like exactly. Yeah. We hear it and we hear the greatness that we hear, but they can see layers of depth everybody is putting the pieces together in a little bit different way you know like a friend of mine who is into jazz and is a musician uh was trying to explain to me the sort of the mathematics of jazz like there's mm -hmm. just i i don't hear it because i have lousy rhythm but you know there's just the different time signatures and everything that they're slipping back and forth and what they're doing with it's like they can see the matrix, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's really beautiful when you see what they're doing, what they're actually doing. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it sounds great, but I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, that's another thing that, that, that you bring that up that we hadn't mentioned is the score for this is this jazz music just all through. And there's, there's, there's a really neat, uh, there's a really neat shot where they step outside so it's like, you know, you're hearing the music as they're walking through and Ed Norton and Michael Keaton go outside and there's a guy right outside the door drumming and it's who is drumming. playing the music we yeah, are hearing yeah. the music that we've been hearing. Yeah, that was a really neat little. And there's another point know. where him or another person, another musician is inside. So they're yeah. walking down to the New York City street and there's a guy drumming and that's not crazy like that yeah. happens. Musicians play out, especially in the Times Square area, but they're walking down through the bowels of the theater. You know, intention is rising, intention is rising. As we follow along with Michael Keaton, he goes walking past, and there's a musician, like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, where a musician would never be. And right. you realize, oh, this is all the fabric of like his the inner state and the outer state. Oh, just yeah. great stuff. Thought it was really great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh and it's a movie that um is is good for repeated viewings because like you know, you've seen it twice now. I, I think I've seen it three times and it's one that, you know, I'll probably in a few years, I'll watch it again, you know, cause there, there's another, there's another scene on in that, you know, in, in, in that same vein where as he's walking around and the pressure is building and he's brooding and he's wondering if he's a horrible person and made a terrible mistake where we hear the uh tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech of Macbeth mm -hmm. we hear a voice sort of hoarse hoarsely uh you know urgently kind of shouting out the words of this and we don't know if it's in the back of his we don't know where it's coming from and we're following Michael Keaton along and you know and, and it's uh, you know the 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 subtext is obvious like is he Macbeth has his ambition you know doomed everyone right and of course it's a it's an actor superstition to say macbeth in the theater and nobody says macbeth but here we we have macbeth <laughs> we're hearing macbeth in the theater and he goes outside and uh i recognize the actor although i'm ashamed to say i've forgotten his name uh, it's a, a sort of a madman on the street i mean he's just a guy 
like so many poor people you see in New York that seems to not be completely moored to reality. And he's kind of hanging on one of the scaffolding things outside by his arm. And he's sort of screaming this monologue. And he, he at right near the end of it, he sees Michael Keaton and in recognizing Michael Keaton, he echoes the words that the guy so that the first guy that Edward Norton replaces is terrible. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they're, they're like two days from, from opening. And this guy is terrible. And uh, a light falls and hits him on the head and they have to replace him. And he Which, says, he says, I did that. I made yeah, that yeah. happen. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. says, he says to his partner and he's like, you know, don't it's, say that to, don't ever say that to anyone again <laughs> i really like i really like uh, i don't i don't mean to interrupt but i but I he really echoes like... let me just finish the thought because okay. the guy saying macbeth then echoes he's like oh was it was it too much i wanted to do it which is verbatim what the guy had said and yeah. there's this like i just saw a ghost moment you know mm -hmm. michael keaton has was like i'm losing my mind like how could you know <laughs> like who are you stay away from me <laughs> anyway what <laughs> I was just going to say, I really like Zach Galifianakis's performance in this. Yes. He's, he's pretty understated, you know, yes. he's not, uh, he's not being Zach Galifianakis, you know, uh, it's a, I mean, he's somewhat funny, but it's, it's kind of a more, cause he's just, he's like control, you know, trying to control the money and trying to keep, keep things together and trying to keep Michael Keaton from not flipping out. Um, so it's, 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 I really like his performance here everybody there was not a stinker in this everybody no. hands in in some ways this script is such a love letter to actors in the theater and the in the whole art form itself that it's hard for me to imagine you know this is the kind of project that i would dream to be a part of i'm like man that would be so great to have a, a director and a script that were so interested in sort of chewing the furniture on on the on the actor's experience and and that what the joys of the theater um yeah i just thought it was the, I, I wondered actually oh, yeah. i was interesting to ask you about it because i i wondered a little bit like did i mean it won the oscar but but i think that a lot of those people are sort of into the industry and i wondered if a layman's audience or somebody who wasn't a part of um you know loving the theater being an actor would would you know, dig it as much as I did. Yeah, I uh, I really like. Um, so I like, I really like films like The Player that are about the movie business. Yeah, and I also, which I I think you know, not having worked in either film or theater, I I feel like I understand the movie business a little bit more. Um, you know, just again as as you said, as a layman. Um, the theater, I definitely understand less, but I really enjoy films that take place in the theater. I just like that, you know, kind of inside baseball behind the scenes, um, you know, view of what it's like getting everything together and, you know, what the actors and the, the other perform, well, I guess they're all, all the performers are actors, but the actors and the director and production and all that, you know, what they're going through. Yeah. So I love um there's one that is much it's much more comedic than this it's a straight up uh comedy from the early 90s noises off have you ever seen that oh yeah 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 you know that's another you know it's more of a slapstick but it's it's still you know all kind of takes place oh yeah in a theater so, so great. but yeah yeah i love I, lo I love movies about acting um so i just looked here really quickly while we were talking the uh these were the other films that were nominated um, that year. Uh, Whiplash, American Sniper, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Boyhood. Um, for me, out of that list, the other movie that I really love is The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Um, I've not seen Whiplash. I know people say that it's great, but... I enjoyed I, that a lot. Um, and I think that's, 
uh, is it J.K. Simmons? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he won the Best Supporting yeah. Actor Oscar. That's a powerhouse performance on his part. He is a, I mean, he's a generally, he's a likable guy on screen. Mm-hmm. And he tends, even when he's playing a bad guy like J. Jonah Jameson, it's kind of <laughs> humorous. But he's a real monster in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a mean guy. He's so like of- conservatory he's a conservatory director of a jazz music school and he's just really mean to his students oh yeah i've always meant to watch it but i've just it's one of those i'm gonna have to get around to but of that list do you would you say this was the best picture i didn't see them all i didn't see them all um so i can't really say i Mm -hmm. did love this one I yeah. loved Whiplash too, but it, you know, if I if I had to, I think that this is a more ambitious undertaking than Whiplash. Like I watched that, and I can see why it was nominated, mm-hmm. but it's not even a contest for me. I think this just achieves so much more. Yeah, and yeah, to Bert- leave it open, right? To leave it to not spoon feed you some bow-tied answer and still for me have it being feel like a happy ending like a satisfying like i walk out and that part of my lizard brain moviegoers like oh good happy good uh-huh. uh you know and the intellectual part of me be like wow you don't it doesn't it doesn't tell you anything like it just all it does is leave you with a bunch of question marks mm-hmm. and have those things be happily you know hand in hand at the end of that movie that's that's something yeah yeah this one feels to me very much like a a best picture you know there's some years where the thing that wins you're like ah that was good but i don't really and you know there's only i always kind of think of sort of almost the benchmark for what i think of as a best picture is schindler's list and you only get you know so many of those films so this is not a Schindler's List, um, but it, I view it as very much, it's along the lines of uh, No Country for Old Men to me, very different movies, but two that, that you know, uh, and The Shape of Water was another one where it's just like, oh, they got it right, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I love this movie. It's, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites of the last several years. So, I mean, it sounds like we would both recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I would for sure. And I don't know that it's like a fun, giggly Saturday night popcorn movie, but especially if you love the theater um, and you're interested in good performances, I think from really big stars, you know, showing all these are actors, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, weird. You have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of sit down and commit to it. It doesn't, you know, it's not a big dazzling. It's not this Bollywood, you know, candy store of it's it starts off like a drama. And then you realize, I think halfway through, you realize it's really a comedy, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of drama in it. And you come to deeply care about the characters. Yeah, it's them. people saying funny things. It's not it isn't jokes. Right. Right. They're not bits. They're yeah. not bits, but it's the absurdity of how seriously we all take ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, fantastic. So two thumbs up. Two thumbs up for me and you. That's four thumbs up. Four thumbs up. We got um Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com is our email address. We're on all the th- socials. Uh, that doesn't fly. We're on all, all the socials. Uh <laughs> If you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe, leave a comment. If you're listening to us on a podcast, wherever you get your podcast, thank you so much for listening. Give us a like. Yes, subscribe. Like, I like, can't likes. really comment, I guess, on the podcast maybe. But um, we uh, are coming up on our 100th episode, not too far away. That's We've been doing this for a while, man. This has been great. Yeah. I'm Isn't really that cool? psyched. That, Me, like, too. I, Me too. We were best friends for... Uh, like in Montessori, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we went to different school, us uh, different schools, and we lived in the same town. But I didn't see it nearly as much. Mm-mm. And then we moved. Then I moved, left Parkersburg, and I just didn't 
see hiding her hair of you for the better part of 30 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, now we talk to each other every week. Isn't that cool? It's neat the it's way great. people can drift apart and then come back. And all it took was a lives. global pandemic. Exactly, exactly. Um, so as you said, with the 100th episode, we so what we've uh, decided that we are going to do for the first time ever is we're, we have watched movies together and then recorded later, you know, recorded podcasts together, but we are going to watch a movie and just do a running commentary. We don't know what the movie is yet. So um, we, it'd probably be best if it's something that we could make fun of. I think uh, so. Yeah. I think that would be more fun. Schindler's List. Schindler's <laughs> List. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if, you know, you're listening, watching, if you have suggestions for a dumb movie and we would like to watch something that neither of us have seen. So if it's a, so like a few, few months ago, we did house, house, the Japanese movie, which neither of us have ever seen. So we can find something kind of along the lines of that, just a weird movie that we've not seen that you could laugh at. Um, one, one suggestion we fun. had was, was Samurai Cop, which I, I don't know that I've seen all the way start to finish, but I've seen a lot of, and it is crazy bonkers. Mm -hmm. um, and if we were going to be drinking while we did this and the whole thing was going to devolve as we went anyway, that that's a solid candidate, but your friend exactly. suggested many good. Yeah. My friend, Michaela, who um, is a podcaster too. She's on a pod podcast called the Saturday night freak show. Um, that's a great title. Yeah. Isn't that a good title? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, she had suggested several films kind of along those lines. So another thing, you know, if it's kind of short, that's probably pretty good too. If yeah. we're, you know, a three hour, mm, three, three hour, hour film would probably right. not be a good idea. You know, 90 minutes, 70, 80, 90 minutes would be, yeah. be good. Yeah. So, um, well, we'll so yeah, find something good. Yeah, we'll find. But if you have suggestions, let us know. Or just for the show in general, if there's things you'd like to see us cover. So. And for next time, we're going to do a movie that I have not seen. Um, Let the Right One In. A mm -hmm. uh, vampire movie, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. From somewhere in the... Sweden. 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 Mm -hmm. um, not up on my Swedish cinema. So this will be interesting. Join us. Check it out for next time so that when you listen, we do not ruin it for you. And, uh, and, and unless you have anything else to add, we can call it. What do you think? Nope. I think that's it. That is it. Great episode. I really love this movie and yeah. I love talking to you about it. So Great. on that note, we're going to watch, let the right one in for next time. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>